Welcome to Trine Days, The Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce Totoris. With us is Daniel Hopsicker, author, investigative reporter, and filmmaker, whose works include Barry and the Boys, the CIA, the Mob, and America's Secret History. Welcome to Terrorland, Muhammad Atta, and the 9-11 cover-up in Florida. The documentary, Muhammad Atta and the Venice Flying Circus, and his upcoming book, Gangster Planet. Daniel and Chris, it's great to be with you both. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on. You know, I, I think people deserve to know your story and your journey about how you're sitting there in Venice, Florida. You've got a, a crew of people. You're, you're making payroll. You're putting out product that's, you know, being seen internationally, you know, on, on a business show. You know, it's just running like clockwork and you get bored and you hear about this thing in Arkansas and you want to do something more. It was it was in large part purely a business decision. This is one thing I wanted to talk about motivations and why people like you and I feel a passion about things that like are are outside ourselves. I was doing a business show. It aired internationally on NBC. Global Business 2000, on the, on the second floor of, of this three-story, smallish office building in, in Newport Beach, like there were like five offices in the road down the corner, and I, my mom came to see me, and I, I took her to the office and stood outside, I pointed, I said, Mom, from there all the way to there, that, those, are, those are our offices. <laughs> That's economic television. But the kind of stuff I was doing, I mean, while... Certainly interesting in, in view of what I had done earlier in my career. It was like it was not what I really wanted to do. And conspiracy was a hot topic back then. Not that it still isn't. So I went out to shoot the secret heartbeat of America. It was, it was going to be a 15-minute spot on a half-hour pilot called Conspiracy for what would have been a second show that would have made, you know, little Danny Hopsicker like you know, the producer of two series, not just one. Okay. And I got to Venice, uh, not to Venice. I got to Mena, Arkansas. I got to Arkansas, period, in Louisiana. And, and I got lucky because the guy I, I went to investigate, Barry Seal, had not yet, he had been, the, uh, you know, a major focus of investigations. But, but after, after, um, and Gary Webb's stuff came out, Gary focused on the West Coast. He had that nailed down. And then there were other people like in the Miami thing, you know, they were making movies about Miami already, but like in the middle of the middle, you know, not that people didn't know about him, but Barry Seal, but he was the, uh, 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 the underpublicized one. And when I got there, I immediately, virtually immediately realized that this was the main line. Okay. That, that this was the real deal. Okay. And I spent much of the next year and a half it's going around interviewing people that had worked with him. It was a blow your mind education because these people would speak like you and I are talking now. I mean, in off, off the cuff tones, you know, it's like, hey, it's a nice day here. What's it like there? About shit that was, blow, that was blowing my mind. Um, and you knew it was real. Peter Dale Scott said one time, every time he found out something, you know, real about what was going on in, in the drug trade and, and, you know, what he was investigating. He said it was never better than he thought it was. It was always worse. And so that's what it was. Um, I got lucky in that Barry Seal was the heart of the heart of the country. He had been affiliated with the CIA since he was 16 years old. 
He was a hotshot pilot that got his pilot's license at the age of 14, and he could fly upside down all day long, okay? He was like a really, really excellent pilot. And so very soon, he had been recruited by David Ferry, who was running a Civil Air Patrol unit out of New Orleans while Barry was learning, was in the Civil Air Patrol, supposedly Baton Rouge, but he, he met David Ferry sometime. And by, by 16 or 17, he was flying weapons flights into Cuba, bringing arms to Fidel Castro, because that's who the CIA was supporting. And I'm like, I don't believe that. Yeah, but it, it's true. I mean, there was a time when the CIA supported Fidel Castro and Barry Seal was flying weapons, flying and landing on little mountain strips, like, you know, on a ridge in the mountains. And, okay, and here's, here's the point of the book of, of Gangster Planet. The people that were smuggling, trafficking drugs in this country in the early 80s when Barry Seal became famous are the same people that are doing it now. The, the same organizations, the same organizational groupings there's a little bit of up and down in it I, I i think but it is not at all like the dea wants us to believe like it's a to the death match between um the sinaloa cartel and and you know with medellin and and cali and you know blah 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 it was never like that yeah yeah my daddy told me that he says well the vietnam war is about drugs there's these secret societies so of course you know i started looking at that and then you see this grouping of people of uh, intelligence agents uh, secret society folks and and mobsters you know i always liked marilyn monroe you know and there's that what that movie asphalt jungle you know where the uh, criminal element and the elite of the town um get together so i mean it, it's not really a uh, a new phenomenon per se it's you know it's part of how they uh, folks run the world is uh, by quote unquote controlling the drug trade that's one reason why you know myself i've worked very hard um here in oregon to uh, get drugs legal and instead of having that money going off into the shadows it's, it's actually going into the state to, to help programs and, and stuff like that and but it's just you know it's amazing it shows the the political power that these drug cartels have do you think there's any marijuana smoked in texas think there's any marijuana uh, smoked in louisiana you know but they they yep. keep it illegal there you know let me speak let me speak your point because i agree with it entirely okay drugs need to be legal and why they need to be legal is because as you well know it's the biggest slush fund in the history of the world. Amen. The United Nations, for God's sake, um, says that worldwide people spend more money on drugs than they do on food. And, and as you well know, being illegal quadruples the, the profit. And, and it's a huge pile of money that somebody is deciding how to split up. And you and I, we don't have shares in that company, do we? No. No, we, we, you know, we, we can't stand up at a shareholders meeting, you know, and ask if we're if, if the company's moving to greener, greener energy or anything. Well, so we we don't get a say. Yeah. Yeah. There's this quote about Roy Cohn, this uh, British historian, Eric Hobbswan or something like that. He said, you know, Roy Cohn made his legal and political career in a milieu where money and power override the rule of law. Indeed, where the ability to get 
and get away with what lesser citizens cannot is what provides membership of an elite, you know, a, a corrupt elite that is uh, leading the world in a, uh, not in a good way, you know, and I, I, I'm awful hopeful for, for better things. I know you are because you sign, you sign off that way, you know, onwards to the, what, what, what's that line of yours that you use? Uh, onwards to the utmost of futures. That's right. That's right. That's you. You know, I don't know. Okay. Because the question that's always to be asked of the situation that you and I have both described is, was it ever thus? Has it always been just the way we have found it? And what is up with us anyway, that we feel a felt need to do what we can to change it? I guess there's, all, there's always been a fraction of the population that can't stand to see, you know, somebody kick a kid on a sidewalk and, and they'll stick their nose in even, even if, you know, even if the other guy's like, you know, six foot five, stupidly <laughs> stick their nose. I mean, that's just who we are as people, as human beings. And the amazing thing, Chris, is not everyone's like that. A lot of it has to do with the time that we're in. And because one thing that the internet has done is really, you know, magnified the perfidity as much as they try and deny that it exists. And, and you know, and continue to keep up this false front that, well, Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy, you know, and all these uh, quote unquote bullshit memes that um, they need to exist to rule us. And I really think that there's enough information out there. We can get rid of it. I mean, it's like, you know, when we first started out, you know, and we were dealing with uh, older soldiers and older Intel guys, you know, and Sometimes they'd come and talk to us and say, well, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing 20, 30, 40 years ago. But with the information out there, uh, you know, these people know. So it disallows the, the misuse of, of some of our government resources into doing uh, the perfidity. I've had discussions with other authors about, you know, where does power come from? I, I think well, we live in a uh, republic with democratic institutions. It should be based on, quote unquote, the vote. So I'm hopeful that people will get engaged with the political process, because what else have we got? You know, I mean, are we, go we going to run around with uh, guns and make people do things? Are we going to run around with a Bible and make people? I mean, I don't know, you know. So. All right. I would not have agreed with that position for a long time. But recently, see, first of all, our little niche, what we're on about, which is- Corruption, basically. Well, what we're on about, put this in one line, okay? In every country in this world, on this planet, in which there is a significant drug market, who controls that market are the same people that control the country. So it's an elite of some size, whether it's domestic or, you know, or, or international, because of that, our little niche is completely ignored. I mean, it is a major, it should be as big as climate change because there's a, 
there's a pool of money that could be building clean energy and better freeways and paying for kids' education that's going into billionaires' pockets. And how many yachts can you goddamn own? I mean, we're talking about people, you know, any more than a billion. Right. I could see having a billion, but any more than, you know, and, and so all of that money is not available currently to be put back into the common wheel. Right. But then they use this corruption that, you know, allows them to get away with the drugs, allows them to get away with, you know, Ponzi schemes, all kinds of investment baloney. Three of the four terrorist pilots learned to fly at the tiny Venice, Florida airport. My parents retired there. You had to been there, the subject would have been quashed so big it's not funny. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And I hope I get, yes. The way it came out three days after 9-11 was like this. Three of the four terrorist pilots learned to fly to Venice airport. You know, and, and now, now we're going to go to, it was what they call Soto Voce. So there I am in Venice and the book of Welcome to Terrorland comes out in 2004. And I have no need to be in Venice anymore except my mom is getting old and my dad's dead. So I stayed in Venice. And because I stayed in Venice, I learned a couple things. One is that they are so powerful that they didn't even have to shut down an active op at the Venice, Florida airport just because this one guy came in and started sticking his nose in. Uh Uh-uh. I mean, they just continued running right out of Venice. I mean, in fact, the guy that bought Huffman Aviation, the flight school that was training dozens of Arab terrorists to fly, was forced to sell it by bad publicity. And who he sold it to? was a guy who be, in Sarasota who became known as the mini Madoff. Art Nadell was his name. He was a piano player, a lounge piano player in New York who moved down to, down to Florida, became a financial advisor, and ended up stealing more than $300 million from investors, many of whom were local in Sarasota, but $300 million. I mean, that's a score. I mean, yeah. if, if somebody had robbed the Bank of England like over the weekend of $300 million, we'd be seeing stories about it for the next 10 years. He stole $300 million. They called him Mini Madoff. And he owned the same flight school. He bought the flights. And I learned something from that. Okay. And here's, here's the other point I'll make. I've spent like 10 years. I spent like 10 years looking at potential CIA planes. And what you do if you want to decide if a plane is flying for the CIA is you get the, the registration documents from the FAA which show you who has owned the plane over the last 20 years. And you can't hide it. There aren't that many of them. So what you see is that um, they're moving the planes around to different owners, but they're the same people. Kirk Kervorkian in, in Las Vegas is selling the plane to um, Arthur Kistler, who's a second-generation Russian mobster living in New York City. Wally Hilliard. I discovered that the guy that owned the flight school that Marwan al-Shahi and Mohammed Adda learned to fly at, supposedly, Wally Hilliard, two months before the terrorists arrived to attend his flight school, had his Learjet busted on a runway at Orlando Executive Airport with 43 pounds of heroin on board. The Orlando Sentinel said it was like the biggest drug bust in Central Florida history. Wally Hilliard owned the plane, but because he owned it, like any rich guy, it wasn't like a Wally Hilliard enterprise. It was Wally Hilliard. He owned American jet charters. He owned 100% of American jet charters. American jet charters owned the plane 
And so there wasn't one friggin' journalist in America or the free world who could put together, hey, well, what can I tell you? What can I tell Editors you? Editors wouldn't let it out. I, it, I mean, it's just amazing the uh, dearth of reporting that goes on, you know, the still massive drug busts uh, that have happened and uh, things you've uncovered. So, uh, Bruce, you have any uh, questions or comments for, for Daniel? I do, thank you. Given the corruption, how should the average person, how much should they distrust the mainstream media in general and why? Well, that's an excellent question, Bruce. And, and I'd have to think about it, okay? Um, here's what I can tell you for sure. Absolutely positively, okay? The one area, the one industry in the world that America still leads is conspiracies, is actual honest to goodness conspiracies, all right? No one else comes close to what, what goes on here in, in, in front of all of us that, that we, aren't, we aren't told the, the true story about. Hmm. So when someone comes, comes along with, with a bizarre theory about, well, okay, I got to tell you this story now, okay? After 9-11, Saudi billionaire CIA fixer Adnan Khashoggi, through his minion, Dr. John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, created what became known as the 9-11 Truth Movement, which was probably the most brilliant, successful disinformation campaign of our lifetimes because they threw so much shit out there that you didn't know whether it should or go blind, okay? No planes hit the Pentagon. Did you see the flash before the plane hit? It was all remote control. It was all a hologram. And each of the stories, I mean, they, 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 were, they were extremely successfully put together. I mean, you'd go, wow. And it was all bullshit. It had nothing to do with, with what happened on 9-11. The story of 9-11 wasn't in New York City. What we saw happen, happened. The story of 9-11 was of the conspiracy in Florida in the 18 months before the attack, when these terrorists were grouping together at flight schools in Florida. Who were they hanging out with? That was the story. You want to know who, who did 9-11, who paid for it? That's what you focus on. And how much of that did you hear? It was me. And I was waving a flag and and... I had absolutely no, no, I had less to no impact. Okay. And I would tell people occasionally, you know, I could, I could have footage of George W. Bush alone in the room with an elephant doing something inappropriate and not be able to break the story. We're intelligent adults. It is up to you to discern what's real and what's not. And, and then to vote with your feet or your dollars or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, to focus on that and and leave the rest aside, because, you know, did you know, I mean, the U.S. the U.S. Army has more than a battalion of people that do nothing but psyops. OK, I mean, can you imagine what boot 
boot schools like for those guys? I have no idea, but there's some of them are pretty damn good at what they do. And when they turn it on us, oh, yeah. anyway, I'm done. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for uh, creating an opportunity for this rant, Chris and Bruce. And God bless both of you. Onwards. Thank you.